0: So, Brad, I'm going to keep my uh, questions quickly. We actually, this is a treat. I, I, we did this a couple of years ago in Atlanta where we had open mics and we let the audience ask you anything. And it was interesting how open everyone was to ask questions that go beyond business, but also about your perspectives on, on life. So excited to have that. That's part of the treat here today. But before we start that, I'd love to get the update you have... Uh, uh, left the active role of day to day management at XPO. You've split this into three different companies. You founded seven billion dollar organizations in your life.
1: What's next? Something big. I, I can't do something small next, otherwise people are <laughs> be very disappointed. I <laughs> have very high expectations. So I'm, I'm going to do the same thing I've always done. I'm, I'm a one trick pony. I know how to, it's a good trick, but it's one trick. <laughs> it's a, I know how to take an industry that's big, something that's preferably hundreds of billions of dollars in size, and consolidate it. Go out and find the best companies to buy, ones that make sense to put together, ones that have growth to it, one where there's synergy to it, one where customers will be served better with, a, with that in- integrated organization, and go off to the races. So you've got a book coming out. I do. It's coming out in
0: December. January 15th. January 15th.
1: Very provocative title. Tell us about it. So the book title. So the title is, it is a provocative title. It's called How to Make a Few Billion Dollars. And the reason I, I had to come up with a crazy title because I learned from this book that came out like 20 years ago that was an instant bestseller and every guy in an airport bought it, gave it to his wife. She promptly threw it away and got upset. But it was a bestseller because the title was called How to Make Love Like a Porn Star by Jenna Jameson. <laughs> Am I right? I mean, everybody bought this book and nobody read it because it had nothing to do with what the title was. Now, my book actually has to do with the title. My title my, the title of my book, How to Make a Few Billion Dollars, is actually a manual of what's worked at all the companies that I've started that have turned out to create a huge amount of alpha. And what did we do differently? What did we do idiosyncratically that was specific to us that was different? So I one
0: last question, then we're going to turn it over to the audience. We have mics here. If you Feel free, if you have questions for Brad, he will take questions on any topic. Feel free to line up on the two mics in these aisles. There's one here, and there's one over here in this aisle uh, right over here. So feel free to come forward. Brad would love to have a conversation with you guys. But Before I go, you came into this industry with experience in equipment rental, in waste management. You had worked in the commodity markets. You, you understand finance very deeply and understand how it takes to to finance these uh, opportunities. When you came into the logistics business, what, did you, what were your expectations coming in and what did you experience when you got
1: into it that you wish you had known coming into the market? Pretty much played out the way I expected. The way I expected, if, if you go back and read the first um, proxy statement that we made in 2011, and you can still get it on sec.Edgar, it shows what our plan was was to grow a multi-billion dollar company through acquisition and internal growth. What changed was, we originally thought we were going to do primarily, the first one was Express One, which is where XPO's name came from, Express, XP, one, O. And they were doing three things. They were doing expedite, they were doing forwarding, they were doing brokerage. And if you read the first proclamation, we said we were going to do those three things plus intermodal. Now, what changed, to answer the second part of your question is, we came across Louis DeJoy and his new breed company that did contract logistics and said, Wow, this is a nice business. Let's get into this and we came across the Conway guys because we were looking to buy Menlo and then the conversation turned into why just Menlo, let's buy the whole thing. And so we added logistics and we added added LTL, but it pretty much played out as we expected.
0: And now you've you've split it into three separate businesses.
1: I split it into three separate things because Sonar takes One's fiduciary duty to shareholders very seriously. We were not getting the multiple that was optimal. We were trading about eight times EBITDA. And when we asked people, we asked investors why, how, they said, well, I'd really like to buy a brokerage company, but I want to buy something that's got this and that. And we said, okay. So we divided, and then we heard the same story about, and we, we drew circles around the three parts of the company that we turned it into. And those were the logical things for, for investors turns out they were logical for customers, too, but customers also benefited from keeping them together. But shareholders were not interested in a conglomerate. It just didn't resonate with with shareholders. They want pure plays. They want easy-to-understand stuff. And we were trading at a little over eight times EBITDA before the split. Today, all three of those companies trade at 11, 12 times EBITDA, so it worked. And it's worked very well.
0: Congratulations on a a fantastic year Thank you, sir. And congratulations to you on FreightWave. What a
1: success. Out of nowhere, it's like the biggest thing going.
0: We're, we're certainly honored to have our audience and very proud of uh, what the team has built. I mean, this is a, it's a fascinating industry that is you know has not been transparent. We have the opportunity to deliver high frequency data and market intelligence. We're certainly uh, honored to have our audience here. Uh, this is your conversation with our audience. I'm now going to step off stage and give you the chance to have a direct interaction. Everyone, uh, give Brad Jacobs a, a hand and uh, appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Craig. Thank you for coming to my town hall. So I have no idea what we're going to talk about because I don't give speeches. I stopped giving speeches years and years ago because it's boring for me and it's boring for the audience. What I like to do is have you set the agenda, have you asked the questions. There is no question that's off limits. Ask about anything whatsoever on any subject and I'll try my best to answer it. Who's going to break the ice and ask the first question? I guess there's a mic there and there's a mic. Where's the second mic? Up there. Okay. Well, you can ask. I'll repeat it. Go ahead. All right. So, uh, my name is Alex. Alex. And, uh, I represent Mother Trucker News and all the truck drivers. Mother Trucker News. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm not going to comment on that, but okay. Yeah.
2: I represent all the truck drivers in America. Uh, they all watch me on social media, and so as a truck driver myself and a person that's just come from nothing, uh, if you come from nothing. Can you still read your book, How to Make a Few Billions, and is it actually possible for a person that comes from nothing to get to a billion dollars?
1: For those who couldn't hear him in the back, there's a question from a trucker. Let's have a big round of applause for truckers! And the question was, if you come from, his words, nothing, which I'm going to dispute that, but okay, I'm just repeating the question. Can you still make a few billion dollars? The odds are against anybody making a few billion dollars because only a tiny percent of people make a few billion dollars. But you don't have to make a few billion dollars. That was a provocative title. You can make a much smaller amount of money and still be a hero to your family and your grandkids and, and do, enjoy life and be able to retire early or whatever you want to do. So the book will help. The book, What I put in the book was everything I know about making money. I don't know anything else. Someone asked me, are you going to do another book? Are you going to do a sequel? I said, I don't have anything else. That's it. I read everything in that book. I'm out of things. And so, yeah, the book could help you not even not necessarily make a few billion, but make whatever you want to make, whatever your goal is. It's also not just about money because money is money and it's interesting, but it's not the whole story. It's about how do you accomplish big stuff in life? How do you think big? How do you get out of your rut of just thinking the same old, same old and go for it? And then how do you execute on that? So how do you Make your mind expansive and big and dream really big goals and have the courage to go after that and be bold. And then, what are some practical steps that you can do to create an organization that will be likely to materialize that? Does that answer your question? Yeah, thank you. So thank much. you, sir. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Hey, Brad. The
0: first chapter of your book you teased is about mindfulness and the practices you use to keep a, a level head. For the young entrepreneurs out there, what
1: would you say to them about? creating practices and the types of things that worked for you early on in your career. Thank you. So the first chapter is titled, what is it titled? How do you, what is it, how to get your head in the right place or something, or something along those lines. Oh, how to rearrange your brain. How to rearrange your brain. And it's a controversial chapter. And a lot of people said, you can't put that in a book. I said, yeah, I have to put that in the book, because that's what is my, that's me. That's what I feel is, in order to honestly answer the question, How do you go out there and accomplish something really big? You gotta figure out a way to rearrange your brain. If you keep the brain, brain I'm using as a metaphor for mind, if you keep your mind functioning the same way like is typical, then you're going to just achieve typical results. So you gotta find ways to get out of the same old, same old. And I put a bunch of things that work for me. Some of them will resonate. Some of them won't. And people come up with their own things. But the gist of it is, you gotta figure out some way to Keep your head in a good place, because if you're gonna accomplish something big, whether it's in business or not, you're gonna have a lot of problems. That's just the way it works. And you have to figure out some way that you own the problems rather than the problems own you. So I talk about cognitive therapy, which I did for a couple years, about 15 years ago. It was extraordinarily beneficial to me. I talk about mindfulness, a way to be in the moment and just be with the people that you're with at at the time and not be in the past, not be in the future. I talk about meditation techniques, I talk about self-hypnosis techniques, I talk about the things that I've dabbled in over the years that have worked for me, and I think it's really important. Making money is not just about money, it's about a mindset. Thank you. Thank you. How about over here? Yes, sir. Hey, Brad, nice meeting you. Um, my question is, if you can start back in the beginning when you transition from being a oil trader- When I transitioned from being a woman, <laughs> <laughs> Come on, keep that in the closet. No, go ahead. From being an oil trader to, you know, this business idea of doing consolidation, you know,
0: how much of your personal capital did you initially um, use for your first deal? And if not that, um, you know, what was your selling
1: point to get investors to provide you with capital? So the the first company I did. I had no investors. It was just us. We bootstrapped it. We never took outside capital for $1. And I started it with my bar mitzvah money, which was $5,000. <laughs> I cashed in my Israeli bonds, and I took the $5,000, and that helped pay for the phones and working capital and to you know, pay salaries and, and rent and so forth. And then we were positive cash flow, boom, 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 right from the beginning. It was a brokerage business. So we had very little overhead, and we were 100% commission, so people were real hungry. And we just started... We were in the right place at the right time. We were, this was 1979. And Iran had just uh, gone through a transition from Khome- from uh, the Shah to Khomeini. And, and they kidnapped 400 of our... It's kidnapped. There you go. It's history repeats itself. They kidnapped 400 Americans in the, from the embassy in Tehran. And the oil markets went nuts. So little guys like us who were in our early 20s were actually able to get our phone calls taken in return from Exxon and Mobil and Texaco and Chevron. And we went out there and hustled. And so we, we didn't really take any outside capital because we didn't need it. Now, the next company I started, which was an oil trading company, not brokerage, but as a principal, where we were taking title, actually buying and selling and chartering ships and so forth. There we needed outside capital, but we didn't take any equity. I did that all with debt. Um, A guy who um, actually introduced me to my wife subsequently, a guy called Christian Weyer, was the president of Bunk Peribot at the time, and he um, gave me a billion dollars line of credit. And I, I put up a relatively small amount of money compared to a billion dollars, but he had confidence in me and he structured the deals in a way that the bank was fairly collateralized in the oil. So I never took any outside equity investors from there. Now, United Waste was the first company I took public. And I started it in 89, and we IPO'd it in 92. That was a whole new world for me. I knew nothing about the public markets. I knew nothing about Wall Street at all. I never took a finance course, never took an accounting course, never took any economics. I don't know. It was a whole whole new thing for me. But I got into it really fast. I just started meeting people and talking to people and told them what I was doing and how we were going to make money. And if you have an idea in a business that really will make money, there's money out there. I mean, there's trillions of dollars out there. I mean, there's trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. And I'm not exaggerating. And and they're looking, there's more money out there than there are ideas and businesses to invest in, which is why the stock market, despite all the craziness in the world right now, still just stubbornly doesn't go down much. Does that answer your question? Definitely. Thank you. Thank you, sir.
2: Uh, yes, sir, Brad. Uh, question for you. So uh my name's Jason and um I have both an asset and a brokerage company and uh my my parents started Me too <laughs> by the way. <laughs> you know my my parents started it I took over in 2010 which is probably one of the worst times to to get into the industry but over the last 5 years we've grown uh, at our smallest was 400% year over year. Uh it's been 500 uh 2 years ago was 1600% and I I'm I'm very proud of what we've done but I ha- my underlying my fear is I see businesses all the time scale very rapidly and I see the vast majority of them fail and so although we continue to do well and even in this market we've actually had a a pretty good year uh something I'm very proud of and excited about I mean I seem to go to bed with that fear I wake up with that fear uh, is is failure and so someone who has scaled multiple businesses done that time and time again what I, I know there's a lot of variables i know there's a lot of different you know scenarios but what is the one thing that you've seen between successful companies that have done it and then the thing that you've seen with companies that have not done it successfully
1: um two things first of all congratulations on your success Thank this you. is america I god bless america I mean, that's the american Thank story it's been really really me so happy to see people doing that fantastic so a couple of things. Uh, one, as you mentioned, going to bed at night, having the fear of failure. That's a good thing. It's good to, be, it's good to have that anxiety. It's good to not to feel I'm invincible. I'm definitely going to succeed because you're not always. It's going to be setbacks. There's going to be bad years. There's going to be people let you down or tech's going to, whatever. There's going to be problems along the way. So that fear, that, that looking for things, that vigilance for, for problems coming up, It's actually your friend so that's probably one of the reasons you're successful is you're thinking about what could go wrong and then dealing with that proactively second thing is the more important part of your question was about how do you scale up and not blow up exactly and uh that is the challenge because as you grow you're adding new people you're adding new systems you're adding new locations you're adding new customers you're adding new vendors and you want to keep the quality up if you don't keep the quality up on all those things you're not gonna succeed. You're not gonna please your customers and they're not gonna send you money and use your services. So my approach to that has always started with the people. I've I've had a huge emphasis on the people and making sure that I'm really careful who I bring into the company. They gotta be super honest. They gotta be really hardworking and have fire in their belly and really hungry to really work hard and really wanna succeed. They gotta get along with other people. They gotta be humble people that can be collegial and collaborative with other folks and they have to have integrity. They just have, they have to have lots of integrity. They have to be substantive people. If, from, even if whatever the job is, whether it's the receptionist, whether it's a COO or CF, anybody, they just have to be good people. They have to be people that you really enjoy, you really respect, you admire, that you want to spend time with, that you feel you're getting the long end of the stick, bringing them into the organization. I've always tried to hire people who are smarter than me, and I have for the most part. And I've always tried to hire people who are super, super honest, because you can't be, you can't be always looking over your shoulder at your own teammates. I mean, your teammates have to be a team. You know, there's that cliche, and I use it all the time. Teamwork makes the dream work, and your team is everything, because things can change, and problems can happen, but if you got a great team that has those qualities I just mentioned, and you all like each other, and you all have each other's back, and you're all a, a group, you're a tribe, you're a gang, you're, you're, you're one, Sure. You're gonna, you're, you, that you can accomplish so much stuff you can't accomplish anything by yourself and I, I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know you wouldn't have had that success if you didn't know that But I, I want to share that with everybody that the importance of the people getting the right people the right culture with those people respectfully and have a culture where people are encouraged to disagree respectfully not disagree like a bully or name calling or labeling all that kind of nonsense so that's toxic being free and actually encouraged to present different ways of looking at situations so you get to the right answer so you you identify problems you know people speak up when they see problems and you come up with different ways to solve it and you get to the right right solution to it. it's all about the people in it it's my my opinion
2: awesome thank you i appreciate your time sir
1: and congratulations again thank you yes the someone over there it's hard to see here there's like a light i'll go here this seems to be the dominant Side, come on, this side. Get up, come on. Ask some questions. What are there you shy over there? there. Yeah, You're there. getting clobbered on this side. Okay, I'll go super yeah, fast. Um, there, Brad. Oh, great. <laughs> I stood back up. Sorry. Softball question. When... Oh, I want hardball questions. No, I don't no. want softball. No, but I'll,
2: I'll, be the, I'll, I'll be the easy one. So, when the book is officially out, will you come back to Chattanooga for a book signing?
1: How can I say no? See, okay. Oh, nice Thank one. you.
2: We'll see you in May.
1: Thank you. See you in May. Well, I don't know about May, but I'll see you next year. I'll come back. Craig actually invited me for something, and you know who else did? Um, Ted Ayling. Oh, my old buddy, Ted, who sold his company to Coyote instead of me. But that's okay. I forgive him. He's a great guy. He (laughs) said he's got a book signing thing he could do here, too. Maybe we could do it together. Hey, Brad.
0: Steven Moore. Thanks for your time today. My Um, pleasure. With all your tremendous success um, and what you've done in, you know, waste, equipment rentals, transportation. I guess the question is, it's kind of selfishly, what's next? Do you see an opportunity still in transportation? Or do you have another industry or sector on your radar? And please tell us so I can... Just follow it, please.
1: I have another industry in mind. I haven't announced it yet, and I'm not going to do it today. Uh, but I will before the end of the year in all likelihood. And it's, it's not in transportation because I'm still chairman of RxO, GxO, XPO. So I'm, I'm still very deeply involved. I'm not going to compete with myself or my people. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to do that. So I, I'm not going to do something in transportation or logistics other than continue my involvement with those three companies. But I'm going to do something in another industry that's industrial that is large, there's hundreds of billions of dollars in size, where there's an opportunity to consolidate, because that's my thing, where I can buy, 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 and I can start a company from zero and get it up to tens of billions of dollars in revenue within a few years. That's what I wanna do, that's what makes me excited, that's what gets me to wake up in the morning and go tackle, and that's what I'm gonna do. Me too, great, thank you. Thank you, sir. Hey Brad, I'm Justin. Uh, Quick question for you, I guess. What's an example of something that either didn't go well or a failure in business? And what sort of lessons did you learn from that? So in the book, I do talk about failures as much as successes. And I talk about how, in some ways, you learn more from the failures than you do from the successes. And it causes reflection. It causes humbleness and humility, which are all important traits to have to be successful. And I talk about one of the biggest mistakes I ever made, which was when I was at United Rentals. I foolishly and naively thought that the government was going to actually follow through with this T21 bill, the Transportation Equity Act for the 21st Century bill. You may remember this was 1999, I think, where they were going to spend what at the time was a lot of money. Today, you know, it's not even a trillion dollars, but $600 billion to repair the infrastructure, the roads, the bridges, the tunnels. So I went out and I, I bought like a half a dozen liters in Barricades and cones and striping and all that orange stuff on the highway, waiting for this six hundred billion dollars to get spent. And it turns out, then they spent like two hundred billion, and a lot of it went to enterprises that we didn't qualify for. And I, I ended up reselling that those businesses for a, a loss of five hundred million dollars. <laughs> so I sold. I actually lost a half a billion dollars. So, you know, if you're going to measure your failures and successes by money, not the only way to measure them, but if you are. That was a pretty big whopper. <laughs> that was a pretty big failure. But you know, you gotta you gotta keep swinging. You're not gonna hit them all. You're gonna hit some foul balls, but you gotta keep swinging. I mean, I just just gotta keep going and going and going and get up again every time you fall down. I was not happy when that didn't work out, but it's okay. Life went on. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Hi, Kay Makishi. Uh, curious t- about your mental models and how you oh. approach decision
2: decision making.
1: Did you say mentor models, M-E-N-T-O-R?
2: Mental models. Oh, mental models. So, just, just
1: various decision-making mental. frameworks. And if you have sort of a strategic approach at looking at different, whether it's business ideas or businesses to acquire, how you go about assessing, because I'm sure you have a lot of smart people surrounded by you with a lot, and in, inundated with a lot of information. So how do you sort of filter that in your own kind of mind? I get a lot of opinions from a lot of people whose opinions I respect. And, and then I let go of that and I make my own decision. I, I can't go by the consensus all the time because you're not going to do extraordinary stuff if you go by the consensus. But I do listen very, very carefully to the voices of the people that I've surrounded myself with, who I respect, who know a lot more about certain parts of the business than I do. And I want to hear what they have to say for themselves. But at the end of the day, you got to search your intuition. You got to search your gut and you got to have confidence in yourself. You have to have confidence. You've got to figure out some way to get into that quiet zone and just just think about, try to picture what's going to happen if I do this. If I buy this company, is this going to work out or is it going to be a disaster? And I, I kind of picture it. I, I see it in my mind while it's going to be. And if it doesn't look good, I don't do it. And if it looks great, I, I do it. And so at the end of the day, it's about how, what does my instinct tell me how's this going to go? And But I, I, it's not just woo-woo. I mean, I do listen to the people who are experts. and and I have a lot of, I'm not a real, people call me a numbers guy, I'm not a numbers guy. I'm really not a numbers guy. I have fantastic numbers people around me who can slice and dice the numbers in a thousand different ways and talk about return on capital and margins and EBITDA growth and all that kind of stuff. But I pick their brains. They don't pick my brains because I can't help them. I pick their brains with questions, I hear what they have to say, and then I step back and I just search my feelings about it. So there is a, in the last decision, in the last instance in the decision-making process, it's not emotional, it's intuitive. Just getting in touch with that feeling of, how, it, your instincts are strong. As human beings, we're programmed with these subconscious powers that we never pay attention to, but they're there. We have instincts, and if you just kind of go inwards and just feel it, you know, if it feels bad, I don't do it. it. Feels good, I do it. Right. thank, thank you, you very much. Yes, sir.
0: Hey, how's it going? How? Uh, I'm Aiden O'Keefe, no straight. Um, I'm new here. You know, I'm new to the industry. Welcome. You know, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Young guys started not too long ago. Um, so I'm a big fan of luck, right? You know, I consider- I'm sorry,
1: you're, you're a big fan of- Luck. Luck.
0: Yeah. I consider myself to be a lucky guy. You know, I mean, I think all of us are just to be here. But um, one of my favorite sayings is luck is where skill meets opportunity. You know, and everybody else has had all these great hard hitting questions, but mine is broad.
1: You know, what's your stance on that statement? Luck is the intersection of skill and opportunity. Yeah, I mean there is a large degree of randomness in life. I agree with that. I guess you can call that luck. I mean where you're born is lucky, and you know if you're born in certain places, you got you got bad luck. It's going to be real tough if you're born in Zimbabwe to really succeed, and you're, you're likely just being born there to live a shorter life and to get sicker and not get a great education and, and not be as comfortable. And it's just just luck. You happen to be born in Zimbabwe. Um, and there's other luck in life just, I mean, I had a lot of luck, a real lot of luck. I, I got in the oil business and the oil business went crazy. I got in the garbage business and there were all these regulations passed that got rid of all the small dumps and the big ones really succeeded. I got in the rental business and all these people, all the customers started renting equipment instead of, instead of buying equipment. And so I had a lot of luck. There's been a lot of luck there. We did built up the XPO organization's in a time when there was global synchronized growth all around the world, where there were almost no interest rates, you get money for free almost on on borrowing, where there was just a really good time to make money. It was hard not to make money during that time. So we've had a lot of luck, a lot of luck. But I don't think luck is the main thing that determines whether you're gonna be successful or not. And I certainly don't think luck has almost any influence on whether you're gonna be happy or not. And happiness is, I think, more important than being rich. And I think, I think it's more of a, so this, the facts are the facts. Circumstances are the circumstances. The world is as it is. You've got to radically accept that. You've got to just, you can't be like, you know, you see people, you know, they're always complaining and whining about this, this, and they're a victim of this, and this is unfair. This is like, just chill. Like, it is what it is. Like, not going to be perfect. It never has been perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Just embrace that. That's okay. Find ways in that imperfection that are actually cool and ways that you can be happy, and ways that you can, if your goal is to make money, make money. So I think luck does help a lot, but I don't think it's the, it's the prime factor. I think the prime factor is skill. Well, you say skill and opportunity. Yeah. Well, yeah. So opportunity, you got to take the opportunity. A lot of people get opportunities and they, they're scared. They're just too scared. They're frightened to take it, take the risk, and they don't take the opportunity. And, and so, yeah, I, I think I agree with that equation to some extent, but I don't think luck is the main thing in life. Right on, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Good
0: so, morning, Brad. Dooner am doing here at FreightWaves. I caught your session in 2019. Your Q&A was amazing. Thank you for doing another one today. Um, it's somber times, though, for a lot of brokerage. It's been a very, very tough market. It's been a long, sustained freight recession, one you could lose a billion dollars in. But in your experience, how does this market right now compare to previous ones you've been in, and when do you think it
1: improves? Well, the brokerage market is a very cyclical market. There's good times and there's bad times. And the big mistake is when you think, when you're in the good part of the cycle, you think it's going to last forever because it's not. And if you overstaff and overinvest and you know, you're over, you're over, your leverage is too much when you come down if you borrow too much money. And the same mistake is when it's down to think, oh, it's always going to be down now. This is, time is different. It's not going to go back up. It is going to go back up. So we happen to be in a part of the brokerage cycle where it's hard to make money. It's very hard to make money. That's okay. That's part of the cycle. That's why it's a good business. It's not a flat business. The fact that it is volatile over the course of the years, that's why brokers exist. Brokers exist to fulfill the needs of shippers and of carriers because there's uncertainty. If it was really clear how to find a truck or how to find a load, no one would need brokers. So it's good that there's volatility there. And I think long-term, the, the, the prospects of brokerage are really strong, really, really strong. And in fact... The brokers that are kind of going out of business now and leaving the industry, that'll make when the industry comes back, the remaining brokers much, much stronger. So I am actually bullish on the long term of brokerage. Short term, it's tough. Thank you, Brad. Thank you. And, And to add to that, I think on brokerage, it's going to all be about technology. I mean, when we started XPO back in 2011, there really wasn't a whole lot of technology. It was mainly just people talking on the phones. And today, I mean, look at RxO, which is the brokerage spinoff from XPO. It's 97% of their orders are either originated or covered electronically. I think that'll go to almost 100%. In, 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 not 100% in either, but 100% in both. I think the ultimate situation in brokerage is going to be machine-to-machine communication with very little human intervention. And I think the volumes will be huge. And I think there'll be the same phenomenon that happened... Back in the, in the oil business when I was in it, where a futures market developed, a derivatives market developed, and then there was a merging, merging be- emerging between those two. I think that's going to happen in, in, in freight brokerage as well. There'll be a, a Wall Street phenomenon where people will be able to buy phantom freight, so to speak, and lock in rates and hedges, and Wall Street guys will do that. And then the physical markets will, 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 will play off of that. So I think the brokerage market's going to be much, much bigger in due course but it's going to be all AI based. I don't think it's going to be a lot of human involvement. I wouldn't have my kids say, you know, when you have your kids get into brokerage, I think that's a good job. I think it's, it's more of a technolo- technology play, I think, in the, in the coming decades. I agree. Thank you, sir.
2: Hey Brad, thank you. Uh, my name is Reed, uh, question. How do you celebrate your victories and are
1: gongs involved? There's no gongs involved. Okay. I do celebrate victories for a very short period of time and then move on. I don't spend a whole lot of time patting myself on the back because I don't think that's a real good rep- recipe for success. I think if you, the biggest enemy for success. You got to do something. What do you do? I
2: jump up and down and say, yay, for about I mean, 10 it, minutes, and then I move on. Like your biggest win. Like, what did you do? It do
1: I mean, what, what did you do? I don't, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm on the spectrum or something because I don't get really, I don't get like that. I don't like get well, I, I don't get really super down when we have problems, and when things aren't great, I really don't. I get a little down, but really not, not perceptively. And I don't get really up when we're winning something in business yeah. because these things are just one of many, many things. It's not like one thing that changes the whole everything. So it's just one. And I think arrogance, arrogance is your biggest enemy in making money. It's, it's actually your biggest enemy in life, in relationships and just just enjoying life is, is just get full of yourself. Just think you're the... I mean that's that's where what, what does it say in the uh, there, Aaron, Hubers right before the fall there. But so I mean it, it's it's not good to take yourself too seriously because at the end of the day we all die. So how seriously are you taking yourself then? I mean every the only thing that's for certain is every single person in this room, including me, we're going to be dead sooner or later, and probably not as later. You know, it's decades, it's not long. I I'm 67. My folks lived to 85 and 90. So let's let's say I lived 87. My wife keeps reminding me, we probably have 20 summer vacations left, Fred, and that's you know, not a lot. So I, I, I take every day seriously, and, and I, don't, um, I don't get bent out of shape when we succeed at something. I, I feel good about it, but I don't get extraordinarily self-congratulatory. What do you do?
2: <laughs> uh, I've got to... a... <laughs> Come on. uh, So I was actually going to ask you if you wanted to sponsor my gong, but we can talk about that later. Uh, Your
1: gong or your bong? What do you uh, mean? Well, (laughs) gong. Funny funny
2: you mentioned that. Uh, No, (laughs) uh, yeah, freightgong.com. You can check us out. Uh, But anyway, no, I have a software business. I was in the brokerage for a while. I sell some hats. So I appreciate your uh, your, your response. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yes. Hey,
0: Brad. My name is Josh Lyles. I'm the founder for sales-CRM for freight brokerages. Um,
1: I was curious about your just mindset approach or advice that you would have just from the earlier days when you were trying to build and develop relationships and trying to grow and scale your business. What what advice would you have for that? In order to do marketing or do sales in order to get Sales, new, new yeah, and just building and developing relationships in the early days when, you know, people didn't know who Brad Jacobs was. Well, A lot of people still don't know who Brad Jacobs is. <laughs> I mean, you all do because you're from the same industry, but most of the world has no idea who I am and they never will. I think getting, you know, getting penetration into the market is how you grow the business. So you have to figure out how to do that. You got to figure out how are you going to connect with, well, first you have to figure out who you want to connect with. You have to identify who are the customers and who are the vendors and who are the employees that I want. And then that's very, very important first step. And then you have to figure out, well, where are they? Because I got to meet with them there. And how do you meet with them physically? How do you meet with them over the internet? How do you just figure out where they are and how do you get to them? But I'm not a big marketing guy. I've, I've really never had a marketing department at XBO. We had some people who dabbled in marketing, but we uh, we never had a chief marketing officer. We never had a marketing organization because I came from a school of thought from my previous businesses that I saw some competitors do a lot of spending on marketing. and <laughs> They didn't offer a good product or a good service and their business didn't grow. So they were yak, yak, yak about how great they were, but customers were using them and saying, I don't care what you're advertising. says, I'm, I'm going to use someone else. So I, I thought it was kind of a waste of money. Maybe I, didn't, maybe I was a little too frugal on that. Should have spent a little more time, should have spent a little more money on, on marketing. But I don't think, I like to take the money that was going to go into the marketing budget and put that into customer service somehow. Mm. And then just market by word of mouth. If you have a great service, if you are solving problems for people, if you have customers and you're saving them money, if you have something in your, your service, or your product, or your technology that is, that is taking waste or inefficiencies out of customers' supply chain, out of their business, and is making them money, they will find you. You don't have to find them. They will find you. If you have a great company, investors will find you. People are looking for that. If you have a lot of business going on, vendors will call you. So I don't, I, I don't, I don't think the emphasis should be on going out and trying to get people. I think that the, the emphasis should be on forming a situation where people want to get you. That's my philosophy on that.
0: Okay, just quick follow-up. So your first, let's just say,
1: like five customers, what did you do to earn your first five customers' business? In business as a whole or in transportation? Transportation. In transportation. So I acquired them because I bought Express One. They were up in uh, Buchanan, and I think a lot of them were pretty skeptical, actually. They had no idea who I was, and they were scratching their heads a little bit. But they gave me a chance. I mean, they weren't going to just fire me the first day. And as they saw, after... A keeping doing the business for you know a few months that we actually didn't mess it up and we didn't make it worse and we didn't you know, do what a lot of private equity guys come in and do and they cut all the costs and suddenly the service goes down and they disrespect the customer. We didn't do any of that. They kept doing business with us and gave us more business. We, we gained share of wallet. So I, that's why I like M&A. I like M&A because it's a shortcut to growth. Instead of doing, it's actually more creative to do it purely organically. Just bootstrap it like I did my first two companies and just go customer by customer. It takes a long time. If you want to get big, and I want to get big, in my, as I have and as I will, in my next one, I got to do M&A. There's no, there's no faster way that I know of to grow, 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 to scale business up to something that's tens of billions of dollars in size, other than M&A. M&A is like the, the, the cheat for me. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, sir.
0: Bo King. Um, I started uh, at XPO with oh. um, back in 2015 and I remember in the first two weeks we had these, you know, the trainings and then you would come on the screen and one of the, one of the things that you mentioned and I think that you've been bullish this whole time on AI, you even told us, I, I remember explicitly saying, someday we're gonna have robots doing a lot of things and we're all gonna be able to sit down and be leisurely and I see that you, are, you continue to be bullish on AI what are your perceptions, though, of AI kind of replacing things and then leveraging it? Like, where, where do you sit on that? It seems like sometimes it's more of a replacement in areas, and others, it's leverage.
1: I'm, on the one hand, so excited about AI and where these developments are going. And I can't wait to the day where we're outsourcing our cognitive functions, our sensory capabilities, our memory and everything, and we're just like sitting back and enjoying and cruising on life. And, and we're in a in a world where we can have relationships that are so intimate, but they're, they're not physical. They're, they're metaversy. That's gonna be really, really, really cool. On the other hand, I'm really scared of AI. I'm really scared of AI because AI is a tool. It's a technology. That's, this is a trend. And in the book, I have a two million year history of the biggest inventions in technology. And AI is the biggest of them all. And the tools are created by people who have intentions, who have motives, who have values, who have ethics or the lack thereof, and they customize the tool for that matter. And the problem we got is there's a large swath of the globe that's under the thumb of dictators who are just evil. They're bad dudes, and they're, they're controlling billions of people for their own personal benefit and holding them all down, and they want to do all kinds of nasty stuff. And they're, they're investing in AI, in AI as well. I don't think their AI is going to be is going to be as benevolent as our AI I think our AI is going to be reflect the values of the West of freedom of of enjoy, of democracy about all the things that we stand for and I think that the AI in the in the autocratic countries is going to be used for surveillance and for, for oppression and for holding people down and for spying on people and eliminating the opposition and influencing people's minds and cult indoctrination to support the regime. So I'm scared of that. I'm really, really scared of that. I'm scared that the AI from the the bad guys is going to somehow infect the AI from the, to the West. And I'm also afraid that AI itself, we human beings, even in the West, we're not perfect. We have a lot of biases, a lot of prejudices, a lot of funny ways of thinking, and a lot of lack of tolerance and you know, we're, we're not really perfect yet by a long shot. You can see, I mean, just opened the newspaper and we're not getting along very well. We don't get an A for that. And I'm afraid AI may, may reflect those bad parts of our character as well. So I'm, I'm a little scared of AI, but I'm, I'm really excited about it too. I'm hoping that AI and all the fast dispersion of information, of knowledge around the globe will be a positive thing because people will not be able to get away with bad stuff in, in darkness. People, the world will see, the whole world will see the good stuff that's going on and want to do more of that, and they'll see the bad stuff that's going on and want to get rid of that. But I don't know. It's a whole new world. I think the world... I mean, I have a, a, daughter, a granddaughter who saves her one-year-old birthday. I'm right. tempted to make a sing Happy Birthday in the video of that, center, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I, it's, She's one years old. When she gets to be our age... This is a different world. I mean, she's not going to come to conferences like this. She's going to have a contact lens or a, a goggle or something where she experiences this and knows everything about everybody in the room just by having those contact lens or that neural implant in. And she'll be making connections with everybody. And she'll be, have so much information, so much knowledge about what's going on in the world. And she'll have the benefit of having read every book that exists and the, the, the summaries of all those. And it's just an interesting world we're going into. I I just wish I was a lot younger. Yeah, thank you. Yes, sir. Hey, my name's
0: Ben. I'm with uh, Freight Pop, we're a shipper TMS. And um, we're in uh, kind of growth stage right now. We're still at a phase where like, we're growing, things are going well, but like everybody's job matters. And I'm I'm a product manager, I'm in the org chart, I'm somewhere in the middle, you know? Um, So I'm wondering if you look back over all your successful companies, Does anyone stand out as like mid-level contributors who really made a difference? And like, what were they doing to help spur growth for the company?
1: Mid-level management? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So in in the transportation business and logistics business, it's not the C-level suite that determines the success of the company. C-level suite raises all the money and keeps it all together. But like in the warehouse business, the warehouse manager is definitely the most important person. I mean, if you have a really strong warehouse manager you're going to have a profitable, safe, thriving warehouse. If you have a mediocre warehouse manager, you're going to have a fantastic everything else in the organization, but you're still going to have a very mediocre and maybe not perfectly safe and not a customer-pleasing warehouse. So the, the mid-level management is where it's, where it's at. You look in an LTL organization, in my opinion, who's the most important person in an LTL organization? It's the freight operations supervisor. It's the person on the dock watching the freight, getting it loaded, make sure it's loaded without being damaged, make sure it's loaded properly, make sure everyone's safe and people are not tripping into each other and keeping it flowing in a fast but orderly way. It's the FOS. So, I mean, mid-level management is really what it's all about. In the brokerage business, it's not the big shots on the top of the pecking order who make a brokerage successful. It's the people on the phones and the people running the computers and people designing the tech. It's the people who are the mid-level people. Those are the people who make it all happen. I think in every business, the, the mid-level person is really, really critically important. And that's why I go back to what I said half an hour ago, which is you gotta be really careful who you bring into the organization. I, I worship the HR organization, the human resources organization, because they're in charge of interviewing properly and having good measures in place so that we only attract people who have the values and have the qualities that, we'll, that we want and will make us successful. We have time for one more question. Who's gonna give a zinger? Sir,
2: Hi, Brett. My name is Sam uh, with ITF Group. I have a question. Uh, when you were scaling all of those businesses, what was the main uh, things that, that you focused
1: on? People. It was always the people. Second to people was technology. Close second. But people was always the most important thing. It's been a huge... So my office is right next to the CHRO's office, and we walk into each other's office like many times a day, Talking about our people. Are we paying them right? Is there a head in a good place? Are the employee surveys coming out right? Are the engagements going up? What problems do we have? How do we have retention? We're always about the people, people, people. But right after that is technology. Technology makes you better in the competition. And that's why I've always spent huge amounts of money in technology. We're plumb out of time. I want to thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck. Good luck.